Come on. They're right there. Let's go. Move, 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 move. This episode of Choices Not Chances podcast is sponsored by Louisiana Gun Shop. Located on Highway 90 West in Broussard, Louisiana, just south of Lafayette. For more information, stay tuned at the end of this episode. This is Choices Not Chances podcast with Ryan and Matt. I'm your co-host, Matthew Charette. Sick next to me is Ryan Rogers. Ryan. All right, guys. Hey, thanks for coming back. Got a special guest for you today. Somebody holds a special place in my heart, Brad Clayton. Brad Clayton's affiliated with the PGA in many ways. We'll talk about it today. Recipient of many uh, national awards, the Deacon Palmer Award. Uh, well, we'll say one. And then other awards underneath that coming from the PGA and other different uh, places. The way I came into contact with, uh, with Brad was... Um, through a program at Wounded Warrior Battalion. I was over there dealing with psychological issues from uh, combat and out-processing from the Marine Corps, essentially. And, you know, I, was, I always would try everything, trying to get it right, trying to figure out um, what worked for me or, you know, what could work better for me. And um, felt like, try something, no. Try something, no. Pills, no. Pills, no. And and it just got to a point where I was trying everything. Well, then somebody was like, hey, uh, there's this program. You know, there's a PGA guy. He's going to come. He's going to teach golf. Um, he'll teach you no matter what your injuries are. You know, you could be wheelchair-bound and still get a golf swing with this guy. But he also teaches you, you know, the, the between-the-ears parts of the game and how to control, you know, certain parts of your mind and then use that as therapy um, going forward. And then, you know, so I was like, okay, you know, screw it. I tried everything else. I tried this too. And um, that's where I met Brad. He put this clinic on and got a set of clubs. I never golfed before, you know. I rode around on some golf carts while buddies golfed, you know, and drank some beer, but I never really golfed. And so that was like seven, eight years ago. Seven, eight years ago, I went through the program. I think it was the first or the second iteration of this program. And um, and then off of that, Brad um, – has a has a 501 that is you know warrior brotherhood of the warriors and it's um guys that have seen significant combat um and 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 have come back from significant combat gone through his program and then you know we meet quarterly uh we golf we we do a lot of good things it's a lot of good camaraderie and and positive team building uh with like-minded individuals and you know i'm not the only one that would say that in many ways helped out, you know, with my personal growth. And I've heard, uh, countless of the guys, you know, that are, that are part of the brotherhood say those same words, um, and look forward to that quarterly. And that's something that that's bringing, you know, positive morale, positive, uh, energy to, you know, to a group of guys that, you know, in, in many ways could be struggling or are struggling. Uh, Brad's also the author of puzzle duck golf, and I'll put links below in the description where you can find Puzzle Duck Golf and you can pick it up. But it's, uh, I haven't read all of it. I'm like about three quarters of the way through. And, uh, but, but it's not, I, I wouldn't even look at it as one of those books that's like meant to be read all the way through cover to cover. I would look at it as almost like a, a pub to go to when you got certain things that you're trying to work on, certain different little ideas. Brad also is on social media. I'll put his, uh, his handles in, um, in the description as well. But he, you know, he does uh, thoughts of the thoughts of the week, thoughts of the month, bringing you different golf swings, different things about golf, different um, 
all the time trying to increase uh, increase people's uh, awareness of golf. And so um, he's with us tonight, Brad. I appreciate you coming out. It's a uh, it's an honor to have you out. Obviously, uh, one of my good friends, somebody that's come near and dear to my heart over the last you know seven seven plus years. And uh, I appreciate you, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. We've so been talking about it for a while. Yeah, so yeah, we're talking about it for a while. I talk about it for a while with a lot of people, and then it's just like getting people's schedules together, getting my schedule together. But um, um, happy to have you on. Happy to sit down and talk for a while, and just kind of show people what you're doing and what you've done for you know my community of people, our community of people. And uh, but before we get to the end, let's start at the beginning. I want to know like where you come from, uh, family dynamics, and the culture growing up, and like how you got to be where you are today. Um, well, yeah, my, you know, I was raised in, uh, North Carolina, uh, a little town called Oxford and, um, my mom and dad split up when I was 11 and, uh, I ended up having to go to, uh, Raleigh, North Carolina and that didn't work out too well. There's a whole lot of, uh, story behind what brought me back to Oxford. My mom allowed me to do that, which I know. And found out later on in life was a very difficult choice uh, when I had to do it for my own. But, um, yeah, so I ended up having to move back to Oxford uh, for various reasons, getting in fights and whatnot in school and uh, spent a lot of time alone and, and mm -hmm. what have you. And they just thought it was better for me to go back to, to where I was. And um, so, I, you know, my father was an insurance salesman. and He worked until 11 o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. was an extremely good provider always like my main support system mm -hmm, never mm -hmm. ever never let me down mm -hmm. uh but he was always working and always out and about sure. and uh i was um basically i wouldn't say raised myself but so i had to become pretty self-sufficient i didn't have a lot of discipline mm -hmm. as a kid uh i would make my own dinners uh didn't do a whole lot of school work. I was always playing golf or out running around in the wild and uh, just scavenging, whatever, <laughs> just doing doing whatever a kid does. And uh, you know, graduated high school. Now, uh, when did you start playing golf, though? I was seven. Seven. Yeah. And who introduced you to golf? My dad. Okay. Yeah. And, and just from I the beginning, in, fell oh, in love I, with it? I knew when I was 11 or 12 I was going to be a golf pro. Hmm. Of some, I was obviously I wanted to play, uh, but my second, which ended up being what I did, was was teaching. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm not designed to be a, a club professional. There's just too many politics in that. So. <laughs> You're not a very political person. No, yeah. Uh, no, I get it. So, uh, well, how's it go after high school? You go to college uh, to play golf. Yeah, my um, you know, I, it, when I came along, I, it, there was never an option not to go to college. I didn't even know another path existed. Mm. My dad did try to get me to go uh, into the military because he was in the Air Force uh, during Korea. Okay. Uh, but um, yeah, they, they worked out so good because I knew I was going to play golf. And so this is literally what happened. I called up. Uh, he asked me to call and the recruiter, and I talked to all four branches, uh, not the Coast Guard, but the main branches. And um, <laughs> not that the Coast Guard is not a branch. But um, sorry about that, guys. Uh, but anyway, I called up uh, whoever it was first. It was the Marine Corps, the Army, whoever, and the guy's all super excited to talk to me. And you know, he's he 
he's stoked over the fact that I'm interested in, in coming into the, to the military. And, mm-hmm. and about halfway through the conversation, I'm like, well, um, tell me a little something about your golf team. <laughs> and he said, the what? The, your golf team. I said, I play golf. That's what I'm going to do is I'm, 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 I'm going to play golf. He said, well, man, we ain't got no damn golf team. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, bro. See you. Yeah, done now. Let's go to the next one. <laughs> Redial. Go to the next one. Literally the same story. Went through it four times. I told my dad, I was like, I don't think the military is going to work out for me. <laughs> so I ended up and got a scholarship to play, play golf at uh, Elon College. And uh, this is how literal I came. I, I had no idea about education and, and what I needed and didn't need. And um, I went through, got through my first year. I think I might have had a 1.8 average mm-hmm. out of four. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is pretty pathetic, but I did not have any kind of uh, study skills. I went to every class, but I had no outside skills of mm-hmm. studying because mm-hmm. I was always running to Chapel Hill State, partying at nighttime, playing golf until dark, and that was literally my world. And so I just mm-hmm. didn't have the, st- the skills to study. But I was playing in the uh, Southeastern Amateur in Georgia that summer of my after my freshman year and literally was playing with a guy who played at Campbell university. And, um, I had never played Keith Hills golf course and it was always a well thought of course and uh, really good condition and whatnot. And so I'm like, I think I'll go play at golf at Campbell next year. So I called the golf coach at Campbell and he's like, yeah, come on down. Let me interview you and whatnot. And I go by there and played a couple of holes for him. He's like, I don't have any money for you this year, but I'll probably get you something next year if you want to come play. Mm-hmm. I called up my coach at Elon and said, hey, man, I'm, I'm going I'm to go to Campbell next year. He's uh-huh. like, you're going to what? I was like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to transfer to Campbell. And he didn't know what to say. I mean, I had obviously no allegiance. because I, I didn't understand what I was doing. I was that stupid. Mm-hmm. And uh, so anyway, I just left and went to Campbell and got through my first semester there. Uh, I think I had a, a an eight average on a hundred scale in statistics in one class and uh i made it through the first uh the first semester went to the second semester it must have been march i called my dad said i'm wasting your money and my time (laughs) and uh so i packed up my jeep with whatever i had and moved to palm beach gardens florida and started working in a car barn for 425 an hour i think it was Mm mm-hmm At PGA National in Palm Beach. Did you at least get the golf for free? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was playing a lot. (laughs) You just get your buddy's worth? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, But that, I mean, and then they talked about the PGA program. I didn't even know what the PGA program was. I just thought there was playing and and doing whatever. But, you know, really funny about that, uh, when I went there, you know, I was the new guy on the street. Nobody knew me uh, down there. They didn't Mm -hmm. have a clue who I was. Why'd you go there? Uh, I had a friend from Palm Beach, and he said, you need to come down. And the PGA Championship was there that year, 1987. And uh, so, and I, and why not? Yeah, yeah, and, check, and, yeah. Why not go to Palm Beach? And uh, so, uh, and I've never been scared to travel. And go. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I moved every six months for like 12 years almost. But um, anyway, going down there, there's this guy named Spike. Spike was the in charge of the bag room and the carts and whatnot. Spike literally had... Spiked blonde, we call it bleach hair. Mm-hmm. Lived under the the a bridge over the highway. He was homeless at the time, but he was working at this golf course. Sweet. And he played, 
And uh, he was in a bad time. Anyway, like me being the new guy on the block, the first day I went to work, he's like, uh, hey, man, how about – and there were 300 and I want to say eight or nine golf carts. Maybe it's 307 golf carts that were under the clubhouse. I mean, it's a four-golf course facility. Wow. So there's a boatload of golf courses. I mean, of, of uh, carts. So in the back of the cart barn, he said, how about going back there and cleaning the cobwebs out? So that's my first job was cleaning <laughs> cobwebs off the back of this cart barn. Didn't, they didn't even see daylight. Mm-hmm. And uh, then the next day was, you know, how about going and cleaning the range? And, you know, I go out and clean the range. And I'm getting literally every dirtbag job you can get mm-hmm. until he's like, hey, we're going to play golf today. You know, won't you come play with us? And I'm like, right on. And somehow we became partners. And I shot, I want to say, 67 or 500 for the day. Made him a couple hundred dollars. Never like that, had didn't to, he? <laughs> never had to do another job like that from that day forward. Again. So, uh, yeah, that was there. And, and, uh, and you know, I made it six months through that that uh, facility. And then I decided to turn professional when I was 20. I think I was 20 years old. What's and that entail, turning professional? Is that saying just I'm declaring that now and I'm and then playing the, for money? Yeah. So what? You just start entering tournaments as a professional. Yeah. At and your leisure or just whichever ones you want or you have to at be invited? That time, at that time, everyone played the mini tours in Orlando and surrounding areas in Florida. Mm-hmm. There was one in California. I played out there for a little bit. It's called the Gold Coast Tour. And there were a couple of smaller ones. There was a Dakota's Tour and uh, some other ones. I didn't go there. I did go out to Gold Coast and I did play Florida. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so – and I wasn't really ready, but I did. And again, I had no direction. I was selling boots at the Great Western Boot Outlet, trying to make ends meet, and playing mini tour golf. And uh, yeah, that's when I turned pro. Twenty. I was twenty years old. I think the first tournament I played in, I shot uh, thirty-three on the front side. And there's a story behind why I didn't play any better on the back, but shot forty-four on the back. So I really had a. I was like a hell of a start. I was like, well, on the front round, I was like, I mean, I had guys ask me, "Are you going to Q school?" And I'm like, I don't even know when or where that. I don't have the money for that. <laughs> and uh, and then I <coughs> proceed to follow up with a 44 on the backside. So what was the so, story behind that? I, I don't know if I need to share that. And yeah, I had to take a break at the at the turn and uh, got behind and rushed and was mm-hmm. too immature to understand that I didn't need to rush. And I think I made. Uh, double and then it just went downhill from there but solid yeah that was really solid 44 solid 44 <laughs> hey 44 is good for me i take a 44 yeah. yeah that was not gonna make you much money there no and so what's that what's that life like mini touring it's um you don't make a lot of money there and you know there's some guys that used to make a little bit they're really really good and there's a guy named jim chancy he made a lot of money Mm-hmm. I say a lot of money. He made a living for a long time. But mm-hmm. he, he was there all. He, he knew every course down there, and he was an older guy. But um, you know, a lot of people would cut their teeth on the mini tours before they made it on the PGA tour. Mm-hmm. It's kind of mm-hmm. like the not, but kind of like the Nike tour started. Well, it was the the Hogan tour in the '80s that started, which is what is now the developmental tour that they use now. And okay. then you know, I never made it to a big tour. I played all pretty much everything underneath today. A little bit in Europe. And, mm-hmm, and, uh, mm-hmm. but, sure. but as far as the as far as the life goes, it's, tr- it's trying to survive. Mm-hmm. Like I say, I, I I taught bartending school, sold boots, um, yeah, any kind of side hustle you could get to make ends meet. 
and help out at the golf course, golf anytime you can? Or I personally never did. We used to. I mean, I used to, didn't have enough money to even go practice. We, my roommate and I, would go to a power line half the time and just hit off a of sand on a power line because we didn't have. Uh, we just, I just didn't have the money to to buy a ball or rent balls mm-hmm, to hit mm-hmm. at the range. So we just go hit our own a lot, not all the time, but a lot. Gotcha. I was a I was a ball rat, man. When if somebody left ten balls, I was on them and I would gather, mm-hmm. <laughs> collect them. Yeah, little hunter gathering of the a golf hunter balls. Gathering. Yeah, that's a fact. Shit. Um, okay, so let's what's moving on from there. What's next? Um, well, in a nutshell, I went back up to uh, came back up to North Carolina and uh, was playing basketball. Had had a few beers and slipped on some rocks and cracked my elbow, so I couldn't play for a while. Mm. I had a real estate license though, and uh, I was uh, working mowing grass and uh, doing whatever that particular summer, and was going to go back and play, but I couldn't play for a long time. So I actually pretended to be a realtor for six months. Oh yeah, and uh, I don't even think I ever got a listing. Uh, <laughs> There, it was actually uh, at a time when the real estate market was going down. Two thousand, no, excuse me, nineteen ninety-eight, no, seven, eighty-eight, eighty-eight, I think, somewhere in that neighborhood, eighty-seven, eighty-eight. And um, so I pretended for a while, and uh, I was a bouncer, believe it or not, a bouncer, but a doorman at a club mm-hmm. to help a little bit, and and I wanted to get back into golf, so I left after six months of that in Raleigh. Moved to Myrtle Beach, worked there for six months. Um, I never was really good at being in a big city because I always felt like I was missing something. So I would go out literally five to seven nights a week. And if you ever go to Myrtle Beach in the summertime, there's a fresh group of people coming in every mm-hmm, mm-hmm. single week. And there's always something. You can go till seven in the morning mm-hmm. every night of the week there. Mm-hmm. And a good friend of mine, Bill Litton, called me. And that's another story how I've we hooked up again. He was a like a second father to me. And he had just bought into a golf course in Pinehurst called Highland Hills. And he asked me after I got back in contact. But again, I can tell you sub-stories that go along that are random. And we'd, yeah, be, please, talking, please. we'd be talking until next year. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, uh, how that took place was, was really random. And uh, he called me and he's like, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm killing myself. And he's like, well, get your ass in the car, boy, and come up here and see what I got up here in Pinehurst. And I had to go to Greensboro for something that next week. So I stopped by and saw his course and he's like, you want to come work here? And I'm like, yeah, right on. I'm down with that. So I'll go back. There's all, God, there's so much that can go along with this, but Hugo was coming through at that time. Uh, Hurricane Hugo. Hurricane Hugo. And uh, so I was down on the beach. I literally live right off the beach. So they had a mandatory evacuation, and this is literally right when I'm moving. And I'm thinking about riding it out. I'm like, yeah, this seems cool. So I had a, a Wimpy Caldwell who was, has a whole other can of beans there. Uh, they used to teach me things when I was 12, 13, 11 years old that I probably shouldn't know now, let alone when yeah. I was that age. I mean, yeah, he, he was a hustler back in the day. And, uh, really influenced me and my golf probably more than all the other golf professionals I've ever been wearing combined. This one guy did. He was just taught me things that were uh, useful. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, 
I had somehow I had a, a little ball of crown, and I thought it would be a good idea to go out and drink that ball of that that crown and watch the storm come in. Mm. And so I went to the beach and I'm watching it. It's literally eerie, super black when you look out of the horizon. It's unbelievable, uh, powerful, you know, when a storm comes in. And so I had my drink and I got to thinking about it. And I'm like, you know, trash can goes flying by, you know. Then I'm like, this might not be a good idea. I'm like, well, if I leave my car here, then it gets. They, they said it was going to flood all the way back to the intercoastal waterway, and I was literally on the beach. Hmm. So, um, with your car, yeah. Oh boy, yeah. So I was like, yeah, I probably need to leave. So I was like one of the last people to leave. The car, I was dodging the cops that were trying to mandatory evacuate, and um, when they would come by, I would just hide. And then I finally ended up leaving and going to Pinehurst. It turns out I could have sat in my kitchen and watched the whole thing. And right across the street, the hotel went into the ocean. Oh, my God. But I literally could have sat there and watched it. Didn't have any problems at all. So I'm not real good at not doing something once I get there now because I missed out on a pretty special opportunity. You think that impacted you like that? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't, uh, if I, you know, if I, if if I got to go a little bit further to see something I've never seen, I ain't turning back. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go a little bit more. Mm Mm-hmm doesn't matter what it is now the job that you're taking up at pinehurst is that a pro job to, that was know? a first assistant well actually i was a second assistant okay yeah and um, like so what's your responsibilities there just running carts and running a register and running the first tee and just general golf stuff mm-hmm. which is like i said i'm not really good at that and there's a story behind that too i mean that, that why i you know really kind of decided not to be a club professional i'm just not really I'm just not really built to to do that. Mm-hmm. So um, I left there, and yeah, I was going. I, I was offered the first assistance job in Hawaii after a year and a half there, and um, I passed it up because of a particular lady friend I had at the time, and uh, ended up moving to Linville, North Carolina, Linville Ridge Country Club, and went to work there for a season. You could make more money. And then you'd have the winter off because it's in the mountains. It's the highest golf course east of the Rockies. Mm. And so I would go there and then go to Florida in the winter and play. And then I'd come back. And then when, the next year I went back up. And then I went to uh, L.A. and played the Gold Coast Tour for one summer. Well, one winter. And then I moved to Orlando and didn't go back to Limble Ridge. I went to Orlando and just played. And that's where I was teaching. I think I taught Barkton in school at night and, and then um, uh, and played. Mm-hmm. And then I heard there was more money in Germany, so I I didn't know anything about Germany. Mm-hmm. No, I didn't speak German or anything, and I just called. Uh, I didn't know anybody over there, but I called the airlines and said, Where, "Where's the middle of Germany?" They said Frankfurt, and I said, "Well, when can I get the cheapest flight there?" They said two weeks. I said, "Book it." And so I flew in March, I think it was to so by yourself, or is there a group of you? No, just me. Yeah. And I went to um, Frankfurt, Germany. And I always loved the mountains. I said, where are the Alps? And they said, that way. So I drove to the Alps and started. I bought a book, stopped at golf courses along the way, which a lot of them weren't open at that time. It's a, and that's a whole other story, too. I mean, it's literally a second that changed my fate of seeing what is now my ex-wife's brother uh, in that situation. But um, And I was getting ready to come back to the States, mm-hmm. and that just literally flipped my world. So I had driven all over Austria and, uh, well, not Austria, but Germany, on the south part of Germany, looking for a place, and was headed to Bitburg. And going back up the road, 
after I'd been to Garmisch and Berchtesgaden and Tegensee and uh, Regensburg and uh, one other place up the way. On, in Stuttgart, right outside of Stuttgart, is a place called Bad Überkingen. Mm-hmm. And it was a brand new course, as beautiful as up in the Schwabisch Alps, up on the top of the hill. And I'm like, well, maybe I'll check that out. So I go up to the to the clubhouse, and there's nobody there. Snow on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm leaving to go to this appointment I had in Bitburg, which is Air Force Base. And um, literally as I'm driving down the road, out of the corner of my eye, I see a, a guy pull up on a, uh, on a little rabbit car with a Ping hat on. And Ping had a big logo back in the day. And so it was hard to miss it. And I said, well, that dude's got to know something about golf. golf. Yeah, yeah. So I turned around. If I'd have been 20 yards further, I'd have never seen him. Um, went back up and I asked him, I said, uh, so do you speak English? And he said, yeah, I speak English. And I said, well, because I didn't speak German <laughs> at the time. And um, I said, uh, I'm Brad Clayton from America. I'm a PGA professional, yada, yada. Do you know anybody that needs a, a teaching professional? And he lit up like that and he says just so happens that a guy from england that was coming here this year to help me uh just called this morning and said uh, he's not coming and uh he's like would you like to work here and i'm like well i got an appointment i've got to honor in bitburg if you want to hold off for a couple of days i'll let you know so i drive to bitburg go up to bitburg there's a place that's got a golfer drone the golfer drone was 300 meters in diameter uh it was a range mm-hmm and I meet them, and I'm up on the back of the range, just me and this one guy hitting balls and uh, waiting on my interview. And this guy was awful, like literally pathetic. And I finally got to the point where I'm like, man, do you mind if I help you just a little bit? Do you speak English? And he's like, oh, a little bit. And So I help him get some balls in the air, and he's like, it's time for a cigarette break. And I'm like, right on. So I smoked two packs a day back then and uh, for like 12 years and uh so we take a cigarette break and i say so what do you do here and he looks across the way and and the town of bitburg is in the distance and uh he says um i'm one of the three big bosses in that tallest building right there I'm like, no kidding what's that he said well, that's bitburg beer and if you've never heard of Bitburg Beer, Bitburg Beer was at one point the number one beer in the world. Oh, wow. And uh, so we talked for a while and got doing it. And I went down and interviewed this thing, and it just didn't seem right to me. So I called the guy who turned out to be my ex-brother-in-law uh, and said, yeah, I'm down if you're down. And he said, yeah, come on. So I went back and, and we talked. And it was a brand-new club, and they had rules that were very interesting. You know, Golf was new there. Uh, it was really just starting in the early 90s. And you had to, at this particular club, this was right after the wall came down in Berlin, or in the eastern and western uh, Germany. Mm. And one of the guys, Hinkle was his name, uh, had come from Berlin, and he was uh, straight up. I think he might have been one of the one of the ones that was bred back in the day. I mean, 6'3", 6'2", blonde, mm. blue eyes. I mean, just big dude but anyway uh really really hochdeutsch which is high german which is very meticulous and everything and i mean you couldn't even take practice swings on the tee on, on, on at this particular class oh wow you had to play there was called the platzleife which is when you have to play a certain uh, to a certain level to be able to play golf alone without a professional and they had to do it three times it's simply shooting double par which is not hard, mm-hmm. but this particular golf course had grass yay high 
on every single hole. Oh, and man. it was not marked as hazard. It was lost, which was incorrectly marked. But anyway, that wasn't my job. So uh, these people were terrible at playing. So they had to pay us to go around. And so it was a good job for a, uh, a year. And then I left there. We came back to the States when I was with his uh, his sister. Mm-hmm. And we had uh, two children from, from, from that. And we went to Tegensee which is down in uh, south of Munich. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the Aspen of uh, of America. Yeah. A lot of movie stars. And yeah, yeah, yeah. People like that hang out there. Big wigs. Then we went there, came back over here, then went back to Austria, worked in Austria for a year or two, and came back, and then I built a range. Like the same I, kind of work in Austria, though? Yeah, just teaching. All teaching. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So I played you, a little bit. What's I mean, your favorite I'm, thing about teaching? Seeing people get better and happy. Yeah, happy. Making them, uh, yeah, just letting them, making it easier for them, make, make them smile. Yeah, yeah. It's satisfying. It's gratifying. I mean, I'm, I'm more of a, one reason I didn't make it play, and I think personally, is that I literally get more joy out of seeing other people do well than I do mm-hmm. myself. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I've literally lost on purpose before in gambling matches when I couldn't afford to because I didn't want to hurt someone else's thoughts. Fighting, that's another ball game. <laughs> but in something like that, that's I, I just never um, – I don't think I made it because of, I just didn't have that gear. Sure. I mean, I could play, but I just didn't have that selfishness, I guess. Mm. Mm. So, I so, teach. So, uh, you, you, you had mentioned that you built a range shortly after that then, yeah? And mm-hmm. that's and that's the one in Oxford? Yeah, that yeah. was in Oxford. I, you know, I had played and I was actually, uh, I had played a little bit in England and Spain, and I was trying to do the European tour, and I didn't get through there, and had to do something because the kids were getting older and uprooting them every six months. It wasn't going to work. And yeah. So I uh, came back to the states, and then I really got control of my ball, and I thought I was going to start playing again, and then I built this range, and uh, I was playing really good, and. Uh, we built that in 99. I worked really hard that year building that range. It was mm-hmm. nice. I mean, mm-hmm. it was really, really nice. Spent way more money than should have been spent in that location, but it was really nice. So, yeah, I built that range. Lasted for 18 years. Lost money every year. <laughs> <laughs> and and you lost something else building the range. You want to talk about that? Yeah, that's why I, mean, I broke my hand off in uh, 2000. Um putting in posts, a post hole digger, or drilling a hole in the ground for a net to go around the back of the range to keep the balls contained. And uh, it was dry. The, the, drill, the drill bit was dull, and the ground was hard. So I was standing on the back of the, uh, the auger, and the auger didn't have a protective uh, cover over the universal joint. And my shirt got hung up in the universal joint, and fortunately I was strong enough to break my hand off over the bar. And... Um, yeah, that was always kind of funny because I I used to if I ever hurt myself I'd always take a golf swing to see if I could actually swing. Mm-hmm. And this time when I turned around to try to take a swing, there's just the two bones left. They were. Uh, it was that line that goes around there with just two bones up in here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, and I couldn't tell. I was like, oh, I think you. Kind of fucked up. That swing there is going to be yeah, jacked up for a minute. Right. But it, it actually gets in. There's my my old woman, my grumpy lady right there. <laughs> <laughs> Love um, it. So uh, anyway, uh, literally when that happened, I, I 
you know, it's weird how things happen like that. You're thinking about uh, what's next, what you're going to do. Um, I thought about my children, my, my wife at the time, and didn't know. I didn't know where this was going. I mean, I, there was nothing left. No, so I mean, I were you out there? You were out there with somebody then, right? There was a kid with me, yeah. And called, just called 911 and get, get the ambulance ran, out there? Or? We didn't have, this was before cell phones were that prevalent. So he ran up to the place. I had. I sat down and... And then the tractor was banging up and down on the with the drill, so I had to get up and turn the tractor off and sat back down. And about that time, uh, Owen Cross, who is my one of my best friends in high school basketball, his brother, little brother, was working for this company that I was getting the post from. So he brought was bringing me another post because I had broken one. And uh, he, he drove up, and uh, I got up, and I'm like, I think I fucked up. And he's like, hey, get in the truck. So I got in the truck, and by that time, we met the ambulance on the way. To the hospital during that time i'm thinking i need something to attach to this elbow or this arm and i need this elbow to be able to compete and play again and that you're already that thinking was, about that that yeah. literally was going through my mind did and, what was there anything left of what got pulled in of your I hand i was too stupid to know about it mm-hmm. i was too stupid you're to even just... look so this is where this went is we met the the ambulance and the uh that they get the stretcher out and i get out of the truck and walk over and they're like you know on the stretcher so I get up on the stretcher and rolled off the other side into the ditch, oh. onto the ground, and all I could think about was if that two bones had gone into the ground, I might be stuck. <laughs> right <here laughs> on the ground. And uh, the one guy was upset with you. How did that happen? Yeah, yeah. And the one guy says, "Anybody know where the hand is?" And one guy said he knew. And that guy was the first piece of the puzzle. Me keeping his elbow, uh, and I don't know his name unfortunately to this day, but I'm forever grateful to him for having the wherewithal to go get the pe- the rest of my tissue because that's that's my palm and this is part of my leg but without this cover tissue they would have had to cut me off up here mm. so when they flew me on the life flight to duke um i had this really sweet nurse i don't know if you've ever been on morphine but your nose itches and uh i was like strapped in and i'm like honey i said I promise I don't have anything on my nose, but if you'd scratch my nose for me, you would be like a heroine for me. So she scratched my nose the whole way over to Duke. And I get out as I'm thinking about what I need and go in. There's like 20, 25 people waiting on me. And I'm like, y'all waiting on me? And they're like, yes, sir, Mr. Clayton. And I'm like, well, thank you for being here, but I really would like to speak to the surgeon. And then like, we'll see what we can do. So uh they sent the you surgeon. never lost consciousness or anything you just mm-hmm. boom broke it off wrap it up with something and then i don't even think i wrapped it up with anything i just think i was just had a chicken bone but it wasn't uh, like bleeding profusely it everywhere it, it really didn't it you know okay. i think everything retracted and it was in shock okay my hand was well what well, <laughs> the arm yeah yeah and uh so anyway i go in and and the doc comes in dr levin scott levin he's the he's the second reason why i've still uh, got this elbow and i said um you know uh i really am prepared to come out with just the shoulder but i really would like to keep this elbow i said i'm a golf professional and i need that to be able to attach something to and he's like right on i'll uh, do the best i can and um so he did he he saved it and because uh, i did not want to have a piece of meat mm-hmm. on my hand I, I have no desire to have something that's not functional because uh-huh. uh, I knew I could attach something if I had this piece right here. So, um, yeah, and it was infected, so it was like super huge, and uh, wouldn't it wouldn't heal. So I was in there. I had to get like six more surgeries to clean it. 
And I had hit a golf ball over the Duke Chapel. And every time I went to get surgery, I could see the Duke Chapel. And I don't know if you know, the Duke Chapel is a pretty yeah, big chapel. Yeah. Um, and actually, I did that before I broke my hand off. So somebody might have been trying to tell me something. Mm. Um, but I did hit it. One of the best shots I've ever hit went straight over the top. Got it on video, too. That's, a, that's kind of a big deal. Uh, it, well, they didn't. we weren't supposed to talk about it because <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't uh, too kosher. But anyway... Uh, <laughs> I did it, and um, but I saw it every time, and I told everybody that was with me. I said, hey, I hit a golf ball over that, and they're like, okay. whatever. Anyway, so I go in, and six surgery lady, and, and so they have a hyperbaric chamber there. That's yeah. the third reason I was able to keep my elbow, because okay. uh, that actually saved it. What does uh, it do for it? it? You breathe pure oxygen. Go, you, know, you dive down to like, I guess it was 40 feet, somewhere in that neighborhood, and um, it's not you're not actually in water, but in a pressurized scenario, and you just breathe pure oxygen, and it helped it heal. Helps heal it. How often did you do that? Four hours a day for like six days in a row. Miserable time, but uh, yeah. And yeah, I was, what do you do for nauseous. that four hours down there? I was nauseous, man. I was sick. I was on antibiotics. I couldn't get in front of the antibiotics. And I do remember I, I was listening to the Duke Children's uh, classic. They were on the radio talking about the the Duke Children. And hearing their stories, and, and I'm like, yeah, you, you're good, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll make it. Yeah, that, 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 those kids are amazing. Uh, but anyway, I do remember that. But uh, yeah, you just did, and, and it finally started to heal. And um, I, was I didn't know that was your palm. Time. I guess I just missed that the last decade or so. Yep, that's it. That's my finger. Well, that was my finger. And so they just took what was left, and then they flapped crafted it. what they could to wrap. They flapped it. I flapped it. Okay. He wow. said, I don't know how many uh, stitches it was, but he said he gave me the Cadillac. Yeah. So <laughs> I was his work of art. Yeah. So. You were his masterpiece. Yeah, that's what he said. That's what I said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and special. what's recovery look like for something like this? I mean, that's a, that's a long recovery, I would imagine. Um. Well, the f- day I got out of the hospital, I hit three balls. Okay. Left-handed, backhanded. Which is ultimately what hurt my shoulder a little bit, but anyway, that that's another. But um, yeah, I went to work the next day. I mean, I worked so much that I passed out almost uh, putting that. I went back to putting that fence back up. I mean, I had to get it up, and uh, so that was three, four weeks after that, and then almost passed out. But I was working ten hour days when I got out. Well, I shouldn't have been, but mm-hmm, I did. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had to. It's hard as woodpecker lips, dude. Yeah. Well, and all you just do what you got to do. Now, how long after, um, how long after this four week recovery? And now you're getting back to work, and you're damn near passing out. How how long after that do you uh, form prosthetic for that? Um, was it like immediately you're talking about it, or was, did it take a while to, to to get there? No, no, no. I was thinking about it all the time. I mean, they had this stuff. They had some stuff that had been made before, mm. and but it wasn't specifically made for my situation mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so i uh i was I, I got this thing i don't know it was a month after or whatever well, it wasn't even that long maybe i don't even i really don't remember but anyway it was a rubber hose and a thing that slides up the shaft but it didn't have any firmness it just was loose mm-hmm. and uh so i was messing around with that and i'm like this is garbage man this is not not what i need and so i'm at my range and i'm saying i'm gonna figure something out and I was too stupid to know what I was doing, but I just took a golf shaft and cut it and then took pipe 
stuff and wrapped it around and tightened it down and to put this other thing. It's a four hundred and fifty dollar piece from the the thing and I was ripping it to pieces because it just didn't function. And I hit one little bitty shot and I'm like, that's what I need to feel. But it had no mobility and no range of motion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I was up on my porch playing around and a friend of mine named Timmy Lumpkins worked at Revlon. He stopped by to see me and um he's like, What the hell are you doing, man? I had shit all over the the porch and and he's I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm trying we'll figure to figure out. some shit out. <laughs> and he's like, you need to meet Ronnie Morgan. And Ronnie Morgan was the engineer, uh, the mechanical engineer for Revlon, the makeup company. Okay. And uh, so Ronnie came out and talked to me, and his eyes lit up because he loves solving. Pro- like a challenge. Yeah, he yeah. loves that. And he used to always say, hey, man, I can put some springs in here and make that thing go fast as you want it to go. And I'm like, I don't want any help. I just want something to get me. Just need my function. Just, just to get me to work. And he's always pushing on it. He unfortunately died of cancer six or seven years ago. But um, anyway, uh, so it took me six years to develop the arm that I have now of a tremendous amount of trial and error. Yeah. I mean, now did you have an actual prosthetic doctor that helped you with that? Or was it him that was the engineer helping trial and error? I told him what I wanted and I said, this is working. This isn't working. Let's do this. And he would come up with the next thought and the arm. I helped develop it. I cut a slit down the middle so that it would tighten and wouldn't rotate. You put a strap on on it. Yeah. Yeah. Straps around. So it won't rotate. Uh And then the, uh, the arm itself that he designed for me, uh, like I say, it took us about six years to get to where it is now mm-hmm. that I've used since, was that, oh, six or seven? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's, a, that's the only one in the world like it, except for another one. Somebody stole my car in Beaufort, South Carolina, <laughs> right outside of Paris. And um, That's not a, as funny to you probably as it is to That's a whole other story in his own right. <laughs> I think I've heard that. that one before. Yeah, that was that was a, I, everything in my world was in that car. Literally, I'm talking about from my passport to work to pictures of my kid to brand new hats I just got. I mean, I can't tell you what was in that car. To your arm, my arm, my clubs, a bag the PJ of America had given me. Uh, I mean, just all kinds of stuff. My book, I had to rewrite my book because all of that was in there. The backup, my cameras, I mean, literally everything. And it was uh, right around the corner down. Uh, Coffin Point Road, and it was in the trees, and everything was gone from it. The car was there. I'm like, you could have taken the car, leave my other stuff, and mm-hmm. I was not a happy person. And you know, some of my guys that are your brothers and my brothers, and they're like, I mean, we want to take a team down there and <laughs> door to door. <laughs> and I told the sheriff that I was like, man, I'm telling you, I got some guys that really would like to come down here and figure some shit out. We just want to find an arm. And he's like, uh, please don't let that happen. <laughs> and because um, it was literally just a bunch of drug. Yeah. Uh, it was well. Yeah, we'll leave that one there mm-hmm. where it is. And anyway, it was uh, it was uh, yeah, just a rough come. But anyway, that arm is I don't know, who knows where it is. Mm-hmm. The, the news station was doing an interview on me, and they came over, and, and the, the anchor guy, it was hilarious. He's like, will somebody just please give the man his arm back <laughs> at the end of the, of the Somebody interview. just bring his arm just back. Just give Damn. the man his arm back. So, uh, yeah, that one, it took, I went six, nine months without an arm, and then I pieced one back together that I had had. I just didn't do it. And I played Kiowa. Just so you know, playing Kiowa Ocean Corps, one arm for the first time, one arm, 
ain't the right place to do that. That's not where you find out your range. Yeah, that's not a good one. <laughs> I went through a lot of off balls that day. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's another story too. So, oh man. So you recover. You get this arm. Obviously, you've been using it for a while. But what happens? Um, is it? Is it? I have my assumptions, but you know, usually they're wrong. But did that? Did that event, losing your arm and, and, you know, having to adjust your life, did that set you up for what you would do with veterans later? Um, is that one of the main catalysts or is it something else? Um, no, breaking my hand off was literally outside of the birth of my two children. And uh, now my girlfriend, she's a blessing. But uh, the uh, my two kids were, the you know, the biggest part. This is the best thing that ever happened to me what's breaking off my hand. I mean, I'm going to pay for it later on physically because my body is breaking down after, gosh, it's been 20, 22 years now. Um, but it's breaking down and it's going to be an issue at some point. But it opened up a lot of opportunities for me to uh, do what I do now, I think. Well, I know it did because, you know, at the end of the day, and I mean, anybody's listening to this, I'm, I'm you know, my language is really not good and I'm going to try to keep it as clean as possible. But, you know, I was, uh, you know, teaching. I used to do a lot of work with disabled kids, and uh, they were in amputees or Down syndrome or what have you. And then one day in 2006, uh, Ron Schmidt, uh, who was our uh, athletic or our Carolinas PGA director, uh, called me and said, Hey, Brad, would you like to do a clinic at Camp Lejeune at the Wounded Warrior Battalion? And uh, I'm like, uh, yeah sure I'd, I'd love to do that and they had called him to see if he knew of someone and he's like well and i'm sure in his mind he's like well brad's fucked up and they're fucked up they <laughs> might have a little bit of a common denominator there so uh i go down and the first day i come to the battalion i mean it's like 32 guys there uh -huh. and i had no idea what to expect uh, there was one amputee there and i think it was uh ed salute and um uh that was the only one. Everybody else looked like you and, and you and whoever. I mean, mm -hmm. I was like, man, ain't nothing wrong with these guys. And uh, so I, I didn't know where to go until I started interviewing each guy. And I'm mm -hmm. like, hey, I need you know, tell me your story, your background, what's happening. And uh, well, I got one, one, one guy was an EOD guy and he had gotten blown up 14 times, I think. And like on the 15th time, they're like, I think it's time for you to stop. I'm like, how the fuck does it take you 14 times to figure that shit out? Mm. And anyway, so I go down, you know, one, you know, gunshot wound here, show me the leg, show me this, PTSD, post matrix, I mean, the TBIs, whatever. And I'm like, yeah, okay, you fucked up, dude. And so um, I fell in love with y'all that day, mm. literally. And uh, Gunny Barnes was there, and I said, Gunny, I said, when can I come back? He said, you can come back anytime you want to. And mm -hmm. so I started on my own coming back down and, and doing it. I didn't get to do it as often as I'd like to have in the beginning, but uh, I did as much as I could. And then in 2009, maybe it's yeah, 2009 or 2000, I think it was 2009, I moved to uh, Beaufort, South Carolina. I got involved with the Lieutenant Dan Week down there mm. and uh, was working. Uh, Gary Sinise came down and would do a concert and, and the guy who started it was a member at the course I taught at. And so I got involved with him and another guy. And I did the golf for that event. And we'd bring in veterans from, uh, I met 
a lot of people there. Um, and then I, then I started taking them to do horseback therapy once. And then we moved to Charleston, and I took them on sailboat rides, you know, the guys that wanted to get out with their family and what have you. And um, then that dissolved. Uh, but uh, so, and then just to help you understand, if you're asking about my involvement, I was uh, involved a lot there, and I started working with Lance uh, up at uh, at Bragg. Yep. And so he was part of my world there, and he was planning to play on the uh, E-Tour, which is the whatever evolved to or whatever it was and um i ran into jim estes at the pga show in orlando and he's like man i hear you're doing a lot of stuff with vets in the carolinas i yeah man i I do what i can and he's like well you ought to come do something with with us and he has the salute military golf association that he started with jamie winslow in 06 as well but this is in like 2010 and uh and i was like yeah I, I don't know i didn't i don't play well with others at all and so i just didn't bite and then it just got to the point where i was like you know i'd like to be able to offer a little bit more and they had a relationship that they had built and their vision was and i had a vision of wanting to have a a, a retreat for the guys that i was coming in contact with but i never had the means or the the know-how to do that stuff mm-hmm. And uh, so I had my own thoughts, but I didn't know the mean. They took theirs to another level where they offer you golf clubs and bags and playing opportunities and that kind of thing and the instruction. And and I'm dirt poor. I mean, I'm just a straight dirt poor guy. I've never had money. Um, you, you'd, you'd be amazed at how poor I am. Uh, financially, spiritually, and mentally, I'm blessed beyond measure mm-hmm. uh, in mm-hmm. my life. I'm literally blessed. Uh, but financially, I've never... Uh, my father helped me out a lot, but since I've been on my own, uh, when I left, uh, pretty much, I've just never had money. Anyway, so I couldn't afford to go back on a regular basis, but they would help pay for my time. I didn't make any money, but it paid for my gas mm-hmm, and my car. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was charging, I mean, I charged double what I would would get from them for that. And it was only for four hours, but it took up a whole day kind of thing. So, and to get in there, because I had to drive three hours one way. To mm-hmm, get down mm-hmm. to Lejeune, so I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. So I started in 2013, I think it was, to do the SMGA programs, and I'm sitting at Walt Townsend's house, right up the road from here, mm-hmm. and uh, we, I used to stop by there, and he and I just sit out and do what we do, and um, to the wee hours. And one night, I'm like, hey man, I've been wanting to do this, this, and this, and I just hit me like a blink, and I'm like, you know what? I got 12 acres on my range. I said, you like camping out? He's like, hell yeah, I like camping out. I said, you know anybody else that does? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, okay, let's do that. He's like, right on. So we get him. He comes up, uh, Michael Lacey and... uh, Alan. Not Alan. Alan. One of his... uh, uh, Stephen Hill. uh, Those those two guys were on a team in uh, fifth group, I think. And... um, so anyway, they came up to my place, camped out at the range. We had a ball, played golf, had their dogs up there running around, hitting balls at nighttime, sat around a fire, and that was the first brotherhood. That was it. Um, and then I'm like, this is cool. We need to have a competition between the Army and the Marine Corps. So I started, uh, I started that that year, and then a girl and her husband that I ride horses with, she's a lawyer, um, she's like, Brad, would you come speak to um, – I don't know what club it was in Raleigh, but one of the, you know, like a Ruerton club or whatever they are. Uh, mm-hmm. 
And I'm like, yeah, sure. And so I got Walt to come up and speak with me. And I go up and I'm, I'm writing, um, I'm working, uh, telling what I do and what have you. And then he got up and told his story. This place got like 150 people in there. When he finished and I finished, it was a standing ovation, crying. People were all jacked up. Came, and they started mm-hmm. coming. And I told them we were doing the Challenge Cup that year. Mm-hmm. If you know anybody that's interested in helping, yada, yada, yada. I had people coming up stroking checks and cash. And I'm like, whoa, hold on a minute. Uh, I don't know what to do with that. I mean, I, <laughs> don't gain that to I, me. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I mean, what, what am I going to do? I mean, I can't claim that because, I, you know, what? how does that work? And they're like, you need a 501c3. I'm like, what the hell's a 501c3? And she's like, I got you. So she helped me start the Brotherhood of Warriors. And um, so we had that event that year. I think we had 22 come up and play in the first one. And that was in... 2013 or 14, one of the two. And um, I could do the math, but that would take a minute. So uh, we did the first one that year, and, um, yeah, it's just grown from there. Mm. And so SMGA was part of that because they introduced me to the people I was doing at Fort Bragg and here, and so I had a, a pool yeah. uh, that we could pull from. And um, Started started, started with, what did you say, 22? The first year, it was, a 20, it was 11 against 11. And then I played and our sponsor played. And so we had 12 against 12, I think it was. Yeah. And the Army smoked, y'all. I hate yeah, to say well, it. But, it happens a lot. Um, but, yeah, that was the first one. And uh, I think this year I've got over 64 signed up. Yep. So yeah. that's Definitely. coming up next month. But, yeah, it's, it's turned that the Brotherhood's, you know, it, it came and we, I raise, I want to say, 30, 30-plus 30 thousand a year to do the things we do. But also get a lot donated as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we use, you know, probably over 50 to 60,000 a year for our program what we do but a lot again it's not uh we don't do anything over the top or boy we everything we if it ain't it, 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 half the motto is if it ain't fucked up it's not the brotherhood <laughs> you know it's not you know it's too nice if it's too nice well, we have a great time so, i yeah i love it for sure now i, I guess we're going to bounce back and forth what year or so that was that was 14, the first Brotherhood, or 13, and then 14 would have been the second This is one? the ninth one, so this is 22. If you can do go back, was it? 13. It was 13. That's 7 and 2. This is the ninth. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. 13. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, uh, I think it's 7 and 1. Yeah, it is. Army. 7 Army, 1 Marine, Marine Corps. Marine Corps, 1 last year. Big deal. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's going to be, um, that's going to be big. You know, I do a spring get-together a summer get together, a fall get together, and then the challenge cup, and then the wag hood, which is for the wives and girlfriends. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first weekend in December, we just I take them shopping and feed them and let them get away from y'all for a while mm-hmm. and the kids mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. just do their thing. I know my and, wife's went on that at least one time, but I think multiple times. So it, well, it's more than anything. It's just to let them kind of you know there's a lot for y'all out there to do. There's a mm-hmm. I mean hunting, fishing, uh, golf. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a mm-hmm. lot to do. Uh, but for the women, there's just not that much. And I was with uh, a friend of mine's wife, um, and uh, she was actually in the Army as well. And I said, you know, would you like to ever get together with the girls? And she's like, oh, heck, yeah. We'd love that. And we oh. did it. So we did this, the, the we did a, a summer one once or twice for them, but that, that didn't work out too long. But you know, who knows, we might do it again. But uh, <coughs> the Christmas one is, is fun for them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, you also do Christmas in June for everybody's kids. and We did for a long time, and COVID kind of threw us a curveball there, so we didn't do that anymore. And um, so, But that being said, uh, that's always on the horizon to do something. We did the, you know, we did the Pauly's trip. We did the Hickory yep. trip. Yep. Uh, the the Pauly's trip might be coming back next year, hopefully. Um, did they get, did Pauly's get crushed from that, uh, from that hurricane? No. No? Mm-mm. Wow. I, I thought it was going to be like right at them. Yeah, it was, but I don't think it did that much. Just okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gonna go there. So yeah, that that's the you know the brotherhood. We I try to get you know the the, the gist behind it is I don't want to do overkill. Uh, so we do some of the bigger ones. We'll have usually in the summer, the summer. I mean the the spring, the summer, and the uh, fall get together. We'll have usually thirty, give or take. 10 mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and actually not on the low side i'd say anywhere from at least 25 to 35 yeah regularly for those and then the challenge cup is what it is yeah it's amazing just like that's that's coming from your side of it the the founder creator administrator but coming from my side of it what you do is amazing for the guys that that have it to get up there and be with like-minded individuals and and the camaraderie and the brotherhood that ensues from that in the early days it'd be bonfires and shooting and and different things and then you know bucket golf bucket golf glow in the dark bucket golf uh yeah, that little that, that thing you had where we had to use the sand wedge and hit straight up over the pole mm-hmm. those things you know all of that combined in and then it was therapeutic it's therapeutic to get out there with guys that have the same issues and have the same thoughts and you know some of the same ailments and stuff like that it's just also nice to be around people of the same mind you know that you know are of the same mind and you can get out and kind of the personalities we have some but generally they go away and we all go out and we have a good time and um it's it's been great for me it's something that since i started i haven't you know i've missed a couple but it has not been because i wanted to it's been because of necessity and Mm -hmm. i know a lot of the core group that feel that way and it's growing and so um it's it's just it's just a great thing from us uh from our standpoint the 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 stories and the things that come from around the fire which is the nucleus of mm-hmm, what we're mm-hmm. doing and uh and to give to have something to look forward to i mean mm-hmm. i look forward to these events oh yeah it, you know, i literally do and so i'm I'm happy that they're we've kind of gotten a rhythm on what we're doing every year has grown and i've taken some stuff away put some stuff in but it's also not just those events it's the smaller pockets that are created through those events oh, yeah. that are done during the week when we don't have to get together mm-hmm. i mean going like you're like you're playing with shrek and mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. jay and whoever uh, Johnny and uh, Julio and Greg and mm-hmm. some other guys had a group they got together for a while. And so it's that uh, that's the byproduct of the main events that go on. And I'll tell you something that's really pertinent at this point in time um, that really struck home with me once. And that was, you know, I used to have a friend that did, well, I still have a friend that is in the pallet business. Pallet? And he's. The pallets. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he'd bring me a tractor trailer load of pallets, and we'd have some monster fires. I'm talking about, you got to bear with me. You but need some help? I'm going to figure it out. You need a hand? <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Always talking about hand advantage. I'm going to get in yeah. trouble for that. In the words of Johnny Glenn, you got jokes. Yeah. No, that's, uh, you know, that's cool with me. No, I know. Um, so anyway, uh, to um, this particular story, it was... I think it was like 22 degrees one night. 
and we had this big huge oh, yeah. bonfire going and then on the other side of the range i always had this little pot you know the there's a washing machine that had yeah. a smaller fire and notoriously y'all are usually the last ones out there the marine corps that is and uh so there's no one at the big fire <laughs> which is just hot it's warm but the little fire had like 20 guys around it and i walk over i'm like what the hell are y'all doing here man it's a cold and they're like well the big fire pushes us all away this one kind of brings everybody together <laughs> and that was very poignant for me uh on a serious note that was a big yeah. deal that that was really cool to hear somebody and then two or three of them chimed in and like yeah that's that's true yeah so that was cool um but that's what the brotherhood is to me and um what it means so you know hopefully if it if it helps one guy oh it's helped it's helped many that then it's worth it to me it's helped many that have said it professed it out loud to me so uh and guys that i still know look forward to that every quarter coming up hey hey you going hey you going hey you want to ride you know that kind of thing and it has it's made a culture of people that are genuine you know genuinely uh concerned about each other and look out for each other and golf with each other so that's true too and and i'll tell you one thing about it too is there is no rank in the brotherhood mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um so i mean if you're a lieutenant colonel you, your ball's gonna get busted just as much as oh 100 maybe more and yeah and literally <laughs> And uh, so when it comes to uh, that world, that's kind of interesting to me. But we're also, literally, we've got guys, I don't think we have any SEALs in the Brotherhood, but we've got uh, MARSOC, Infantry, EOD, uh, SF guys, Rangers, Straight Army, CAG guys, all the way across the board that are JTACs, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, got some mm-hmm. Air Force guys in there now. So it's uh, across the board. And so a lot of these people would have never met before if no it chance. wasn't for something like that. So, yeah, it's been kind of cool. Yeah, it's been awesome. So what's the future look like for you? What do we, I mean, just still plugging away at the Brotherhood and teaching golf? Yeah, and I don't see that changing. Yeah. Um, my girlfriend wants me to retire, and I don't, that's it. And I got told her when, when we got into a relationship it was um you know when you're with me you literally got about 380 guys that come with the package <laughs> and so that was uh, a shock for her but it's cool when she's done she's been really, awesome she's though. done really well she's supported us a lot and yeah. um so yeah but she, i i don't I, I don't think i'll ever quit the brotherhood um in fact uh but that being said i mean i've had a lot of people trying to take it to another level well, big money, like big money, mm-hmm. and I haven't bit on that yet. I'm contemplating some things, um, but I don't really want to take away. And I've had a lot of guys say one reason they like the Brotherhood as much as they do is because it's not a dog and pony show. It's not like you have to be doing this, this, or that. It's just straight up laid back, and yeah. there's no... I don't put Facebook pictures up. I don't, I mean, we got a Facebook page, but no, I don't ever do it. I think you put this on there some. I put probably, but, yeah, I put yeah. all these on there. That's about and, it. And that's cool. I mean, but I, I don't, personally, I, first of all, I don't know how to do all that stuff. <laughs> Second of all, I don't have the time to do all that stuff. And like, again, I told you, I, I don't play well with others, so I kind of do everything on my own, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, which is kind of a joke with a lot of people, but um yeah, so I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Maybe maybe we take it 
to another level, but it won't ever change its identity. Culture identity. Yeah. Now tell me, um, of course I know you. I want to I want to share more out. You have this book uh, Brad Brad Clayton's Puzzle Duck Golf that I showed before, but offline you're talking about um, you know, like a new project with uh, with pictures and and one of your hobbies for for some time now has been to ride uh, your horse just about anywhere you could ride a horse and then take pictures. Can you talk on that project at all? Yeah, it's um that 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 that's I've been riding since I was seven, but not like on a regular basis because golf was my true love, and. Then in 2008, circumstances I'm not going to say about here, I uh, ended up getting a horse. So that's 14 years ago. Mm-hmm. And she was literally a soul savior. And I rode a lot. I mean, like, a lot. And, in fact, I was riding from here to California. I mean, it was going to be because I was in a weird spot in 2011. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to ride my horse from here to California. And I literally was going to do that. Uh, no plan or nothing, but I was going to do it. And I got to thinking the better of that. And I'm like, yeah, you're going to have to have some money and live. You know? So I called up Ed Polito, Folds of Honor. And I'm like, hey, uh, I'm, I'm going to ride my horse from here to Tennessee. Because I know a lot of people between here and Tennessee. And so I'm going to ride up to Camp Lejeune and go to Fort Bragg, go to Raleigh, go to Charlotte. And then I'm going to head out to Nashville, Tennessee. And we're going to have a concert at the end. Somebody got to want to play some music. And um, sure enough, uh, started at, at the air base at, uh, in Buford and, um, we get going and this poor kid that was, uh, his name was Adam and he was from Ohio and he wanted to work on his game and turn pro. And so I said, you're going to work with me, bro. You're going to have to drive my van and pull this trailer when I'm riding his horse during the day and I'll work with you in the off time. And he's like, right on. So we start out in Buford on this van and my van was I mean, 200,000 miles at the time. And, you know, and I'm telling you, I was, I was feeding this kid bologna sandwiches and peanut butter. <laughs> and he had no idea what he was getting into. How old of a kid is this? Uh, he just got out of college. Yeah, no he idea. He wanted it. He oh, wanted it. He had no idea what he was getting into. And so, yeah, but I was going to ride. I was all, I, I, I was passionate, man. I was ready to roll. And so we got out and uh, went, and I don't know if you've ever been, well, you've been to Paris. Uh, were you East Coast or West? Paris Island, yeah. Yeah. Well, right there at the air base, there's the airplanes that are out in the front. And so that's where I started the ride. And so I'm in front of the jets, and the news station came out and were interviewing me and this kind of thing. And and uh, the commandant or whoever was the head guy in charge over there sends out the MPs and is like, man, you can't be doing this here. And I'm like, man, I'm getting ready to ride for my guys. And he says, well, I don't care. Sorry about that. We dig it. But the man said, and it was a lady. Uh, excuse me, it was a lady, and said, uh, you, got, you can't do that. So you have to stop this interview, and not, you can't post it. I do have pictures from it. But um, <laughs> I told them, I said, you tell her, I said, well, I, in a nice, I said it was very sweet, very nice. I said, um, I can't even remember what I told her, but it was kind of an underhanded, like, a little slight. Thank you so much for you know, whatever, whatever, and have a great day and whatever. But it was uh, interesting. So I start riding, and I'm riding up and going up, and I get up to Charleston. There's so many stories that go along with this little ride. And then almost when I almost got to Georgetown, the van broke. 
that was a there's so many things that went on in between. So this kid's just falling behind you at idle speed. He would go hit golf balls during the day, and then he'd come pick me up, and I would ride two days on, take a day off, two days on, take two days off, and so we did that. And I think we made it three weeks or something like that, and got up to, and then the van broke, and I didn't have enough money to fix it. Once you were there. Yeah, on the trail. I mean, while we were riding up the highway. I was riding the highway, 17, headed to Jacksonville and um, or to Lejeune. And uh, so I'm going up the road. And this, it was the, I stopped at a bar in Charleston, and the TV station came out. The cops were out there, and they're like, what are you doing? I'm riding down West Ashley on a horse. And uh, I was like, I'm riding for my guys. And she's like, uh, <laughs> they're like, okay. Have a great day. And so anyway, we get on and go up and the, the van breaks. And um, so I did literally didn't have enough money to fix my van. So I had to drive it back. Well, it was a universal joint or the not the universal joint, but the, the drive train or whatever, the transmission. Mm-hmm. And I'm driving this thing back and I'm getting hotter by the minute because this kid's with me and I'm like, man, this is really breaking a rhythm of what we're doing. And we were starting to get momentum. I had some lady stop on the road. She said, hey, will you sign my napkin? I mean, she's like on the middle of the highway. She said, you're famous. I was like, man, I ain't famous from that. She said, I saw you on TV last night, so you're famous to me. And so I signed this little lady's thing and keep going. And Anyway, so I'm coming back and my transmission is like spinning and then it would hit and then it would hit and then i would go and i'd be going like 10 miles an hour on 95 and then it would spin and spin and spin and then it hit and it'd go boom and i'd go 35 40 for about a minute and then it would start to spinning again and i'm just grinding and i can't tell you the language coming out of my mouth and just and this kid with me is like this dude's postal right here <laughs> and i'm going and going and going all night, I mean, literally, it took us, I don't know, it's usually a four-hour drive, or it would have been, a yeah, right out of four-hour drive, it took like eight mm, to get mm. back. And so I'm literally less than five miles from Oxford, and this thing is finally stops and says I'm not going. It's like, it's like one in the morning, and I stop on the side of the road, and when I stopped and put it in park, the whole drivetrain dropped to the ground <laughs> and just fell out. And I called a buddy of mine up, Doug Nims, and I'm like, hey, man, can you come pick me up? I'm on the highway. And he's like, yeah. And so he comes and gets me. Devon Harris was the mechanic, and I had it towed to him the next day. And he looked at me, and he says, son, I've been in this business for 65 years or 60 years or 50, whatever it was. It was he's older at the time. It's unfortunately passed away now. But he says, I ain't never seen anything like that in my life. He said, every bit of that gear, that gear was dust. <laughs> so, I was just hot. letting her eat, baby. Oh, man. I could. I was so ill, man. I was like, man, that's just brutal. Anyway, that had to get taken. You know, We, we had to quit that because it was getting into my teaching season, and I had no money. Yeah, I didn't have yeah. anything at all. So, yeah, unfortunately, uh, it didn't happen. Came to a close. Yeah, but I did make it up almost all of the South Carolina coast, so it was, uh, it was interesting. Thank you. But yeah, that was, uh, I don't know how we got on that, but we did. We got on it. We got on it. I know you're bored to death over there. (laughs) (laughs) He's all good. It's all good. Um, I want to talk about one more thing and we can go kind of wrap it up. But we talked offline about one of the awards that you received. You want to get into that? 
Yeah, I mean, I don't really like advertising awards because, I mean, it's extremely humbling when someone nominates you for an award, first of all, and then for your peers to actually uh, have you receive the award is is just another Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. level of being literally humbled, especially when you sit on the boards of these selection committees and read what everyone does. Mm-hmm. I mean, without question, the PGA of America is probably one of the most influential uh, unities or organizations in the world. I mean, they touch a lot of people, and there's some PGA professionals that do some incredible stuff. And I do mean shaping lives and changing lives. And I don't mean just one or two. I'm talking about lots of mm-hmm. golf professionals mm-hmm. that make a huge difference in communities. So to be recognized to do anything there's 28,000 PGA professionals in the country and in our section North and South Carolina the Carolina section we've got I want to say it's 1,200 we're the largest in the country and um, to to be recognized is is extremely humbling and um, uh, yeah it's not not something I take lightly Mm -hmm. and uh, but I'm very proud of but you know PGA to me, unfortunately, I'm not even going to say that. Uh, this is a wrong situation. I've, I've got some issues, but for the most part, I'm super proud to be a PGA member. I mean, I got it inked on my shoulder. Uh, so I was. I think what you were talking about was the Deacon Palmer Award. That's a, a very large national award. And then uh, I was a Teacher of the Year in 2008 for the Carolina section. Uh, the Player Development Award recipient in 2015 and then 2020 the patriot award recipient so uh and then the deacon palmer was the national one in 2015 so that that was a very special it was uh in honor of um, arnold palmer's father deacon palmer who um had a uh, disability and uh the pga decided to make a national award or an award for in his honor for his mm. uh, for his uh, uh, continued efforts and what he did to to make it and make it work even through hardship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I was blessed to uh, receive that one. I yeah. was the first one after Mr. Palmer. That's awesome. That's so. that's a great honor. Great honor, and I. It, I think that was the year after I started coming around, uh, after I went through your clinic. So I remember when that happened. That was pretty, uh, it's pretty amazing. 2015. Pretty amazing. Well, you self-denigrate a lot, my friend, and that's kind of what we all do too in the military service. And, and, uh, I think alphas alike across the world, you self-denigrate, self-denigrate, but you do a lot of great things. And, uh, I don't care about putting you on the spot. I say it from the bottom of my heart. I appreciate everything you've done because I've really found some peace with the game uh, found some clarity with the game, but also with the network of people that I have been introduced to because of what you've done. Um, we've been able, I've been able to interview many of them, changing people uh, day by day. So I, I know that uh, when I started this whole thing, I had a little list and it was list of in, influential people in my life. You were on it. You're the last name that I had to record off that list. So um I'm glad we did it, man. It's been a little bit. We don't have to go too much more into it, but uh, I appreciate you coming out. I know it was a drive for you to get down here, and I look forward to uh, to next month because we'll be, uh, God willing, we'll be kicking the Army's ass this year again. Right on. So, yeah, well, it is, 
you know, they, unfortunately, like I said, uh, I'm sorry to get on a little tangent. There's so many sub stories that oh, go no. with stories that can go forever on, <laughs> on and on and on. Because again, I'm I'm not your traditional PGA professional, if you will, and so mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of a lot of uh, stuff that happens in in a career, especially. I mean, I'm I ain't no spring chicken anymore, so. <laughs> If you don't have some stories by now, then you're pretty boring. Yeah, you didn't. Uh, you didn't. You didn't step off the grid a little bit, but, and that's the thing. You know, the brotherhood. That's the one. And, and I, I will say this. You know, SMGA uh, helped a lot with what they're doing, um, and uh, they uh, their requirement is that you have to be post nine eleven combat wounded and or have documented post traumatic stress related to combat. Mm-hmm. The brotherhood is uh i decided not to do that on just being wounded uh or post-traumatic stress i think all y'all got post-traumatic stress to be honest with you but it's just not documented Mm. Uh, but if you are have been downrange and outside the wire in conflict consistently you're welcome in a brotherhood Mm -hmm. Uh, you don't have to have gone through the smga program you don't have to be combat wounded just because you know, just because you didn't get hurt doesn't mean that you shouldn't be able to hang out mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. the guys because you can still talk the language. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's the thing that's interesting to me is that, you know, there's always uh, self-regulation. I mean, I don't know the terminology that y'all know, but you know the terminology. Mm-hmm. And so you can smell, you know, what's right and what's wrong and who who's there and who's not there. So uh, I don't really get into that, but that's the the, the requirement for that. And we're blessed to have a lot of very special people and I'm honored literally honored to have an opportunity to spend time with y'all oh, and well, that's, that's mutual brother that's an it's a, it's literally a gift for me so yeah. well mutual for sure um what's the best way for people to uh to help out if they wanted to take part and help out in donations for the brotherhood uh, yeah, yeah the there's, brotherhood. you know we have a website I don't keep it up and again I'm I'm not a I ain't no technician. I'm a simple-minded guy. I like mowing grass, for crying out loud, <laughs> so I can see what I just did. Um, <laughs> Instant gratification. That's a fact. That and pressure washing. Yeah. Uh, that's like a can of worms, though, man. You start hitting something, and then they thing you know you're Everything in a whole other project. That's right. But anyway, uh, yeah, the brotherhoodofwarriors.org is uh, the website, and there's a donate button on there. You can go through and, and donate to that. And then... Um, there's a, a, a an address that you can mail a check to, and and again we there's a fifty thousand dollars threshold that I try to stay under at this point because it takes another level once you get over fifty thousand it becomes a another level of uh, of monitoring mm-hmm, what you're mm-hmm, doing, you know mm-hmm. and one hundred percent of the money just I'll throw this out there one hundred percent of the money I raise goes to y'all yeah I don't pay mm-hmm. myself a dime yeah. except for my fuel when I have to come back and forth or and then if at the end of the year we have enough in the bank that I can uh, say it, and I've given 60 or 70 hours of my time in individual lessons, I'll pay myself, I think last time it was 30 bucks a lesson instead of the 110 that I normally get. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I, I don't, and that's just because it took up a day when I could have been selling those sure, other lessons. Sure. But I don't, I don't you know, I, I can't tell you how many hours I spend a year organizing these things and, and it's just an honor for me to be able to do it but i daggum sure don't do it for any recognition or money or i could care less about that money i've never been money driven in my life 
Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I mean, I just don't, that doesn't, that doesn't motivate me. Mm-hmm. Um, being with cool people and really good people, solid people, that motivates me. Mm-hmm. And y'all are that. So, and I, I have to say that my community has, it's large, uh, but it is increasingly more just military guys mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that are through the brother. And it, a day doesn't go by. I don't get at least two, three, four texts, emails, calls, whatever. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's literally a part of my life. No, definitely. So. Definitely become a part of her. Definitely a part of my life. I've met, met and stay in contact and been great and, and, and great friends with a lot of the guys that were in those first core classes. Mm-hmm. And then through the years, we've all come back and, meet up here so well brad i couldn't be more happy i appreciate what you're doing if you guys want to donate uh to that cause i'll make links in the description um you can you can do that and it coming from me coming i'm not gonna lie to you a hundred percent of those proceeds go to the veterans i've seen it i've lived it for the last seven eight years so um if you're looking to help combat guys uh out in even a small way this is a good organization to be able to do that where you know where it's actually going um brad i appreciate you coming out man thanks brother appreciate your time appreciate you all right guys next time see you well that concludes this episode thanks for listening to choices not chances podcast please share like and subscribe wherever you listen or watch our podcast you can also follow us on social media at choices not chances podcast thanks and have a great day louisiana gun shop your firearm headquarters Specializing in concealed carry guns, ammo, and training, you can get your Louisiana permit with us. Also, a large selection of AR-15s, or if you are that build-it-yourself type of guy or gal, we have all the parts to build and customize your own AR-15. Glock, Sig, Taurus, Ruger, we have all the brands, both in the store or at louisianagunshop.com. Not too far. You're marking the building. Hit him. Yeah, that's good. That's a good shot. That's a funny. Yeah. Funny.